Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you joined us today for Hope for Hard Times, episode 25, Watching for Christ's Return. This is actually part two of a message we started last week in episode 24. This is the episode today for Sunday, December 31st, 2023. I saw a great story from Pastor Rick in his sermon, How Should We Answer the Mockers? And he told this story of old man Harry Truman, who built a cabin on Spirit Lake on the slopes of Mount St. Helens. (laughs) You know, everything was great for... 53 years. But then the mountain started to awaken, Pastor Rick said, and residents were asked to leave. Warnings were given. Park rangers came to the cabin to tell him it wasn't safe. TV and newspaper folks interviewed him, Pastor Rick said. He said he could not live anywhere else. He was a part of the mountain, and the mountain was part of him. He laughed at and cursed all his visitors. Then, on May 18, 1980, Mount St. Helens exploded and Harry Truman perished under hundreds of feet of volcanic ash. You know, Pastor Rick made the point that this man did not heed the warnings that he was given for those who were trying to save his life. And we see in 2 Peter chapter 3 that mockers also do not heed the warnings of Scripture, which seek to bring men to repentance. That's how Pastor Rick put it. You might want to look up that sermon, How Should We Answer the Mockers? Did you know that there are 500 Bible verses, at least, including 300 of those being in the New Testament that reference the return of Christ. (laughs) And when you think of the 300 New Testament references, those occur in only 260 New Testament chapters. This is a major primary theme of the Bible. It's for real and it's important. I want to read you some verses, and in reading them, they will seem to just be random, but you're going to remember them as we go through this episode today at certain points. In the New Testament, in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 13, we read, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Psalm 90, verse 4, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, we read, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, 
O house of Israel. And then Romans 11, verse 25, Paul writes there, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Now listen carefully right here. That blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. What could that possibly be talking about? That phrase, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. God is working primarily today with people who are not Jewish. Now, Jewish people believe in Messiah Jesus all the time. But God's main work is with the non-Jewish peoples. And when a Jewish person today or a non-Jew today believes in Christ, they become part of the body of Christ, one new man. So in the New Testament, we have at least two references to three groups of people, Israel, the Gentiles, and the church of God. And we see that same thing right there. One day, a man went to the top of the Empire State Building, and he decided to take his life. He jumped off the Empire State Building, and on the way down, somebody on about the 80th floor said, well, how's it going? And he said, so far, so good. <laughs> the world has a severe case of Mount St. Helens syndrome, or the New Orleans Katrina denial mode. In both cases, impending disaster was warned about and predicted weeks and in, in, in the case of Mount St. Helens at least weeks in advance and with Katrina at least days ahead of time and yet very few people heeded the warnings and disaster came anyway. If you have a Bible turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, if you don't have a Bible, just listen and it'll be fine. And if you're not as familiar with the Bible as you would like to be, 2 Peter comes after 1 Peter. Thank you, Pastor Ed. That helps me immensely. Hey, I do what I can. <laughs> 2 Peter is in toward the back of your Bible. It's what is, what is called the New Testament. And so as you scroll through, you'll see 1 Peter and then 2 Peter. And go to chapter 3 of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, 2 Peter 3 is a key chapter in the Bible for understanding future things. It is a key chapter for, uh, it's like a decoder ring, so to speak, regarding Bible prophecy. It's as important to decoding Bible prophecy as, for example, Daniel chapter 7 or Daniel 9. It is a key essential chapter to understand. And we began it last week. We're going to go back and just briefly cover the first few verses we looked at and then proceed. If you missed the episode the last episode, chapter 24, Watching for the Return of Christ, or Watching for Christ's Return, 
uh, now we could label that part one because we didn't get finished and we're in part two and it may take uh, a few more episodes. Well, how long could it take, Pastor Ed? Well, we have a whole new year to do it in 2024, right? So we'll get through it, but we don't want to rush it. We want to be sure that at least to some degree we can understand better what is in 2 Peter chapter 3 so we can understand the future of the world and the future of eternity better, Bible prophecy better. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 1. This second epistle, that means letter, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Peter had written 1 Peter, and he wrote this letter that we call 2 Peter now, and his whole goal is to, to awaken them out of a slumber, out of a sleep, and to remind them of things that they knew, but they were kind of kind of sleepwalking through life. That At least that was the danger. And he did not want them to be asleep in the times in which they lived. And listen, if that was true for first century Christians, man, is it ever true for us today, who I think are living in the beginnings of uh, the end times. Verse 2 that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, so that's talking about the Old Testament prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So the apostles, to them was revealed the New Testament. So basically, you can sum it all up by saying, listen, the Bible has warned us and spoken about things, and we need to remember these things. The holy prophets in the Old Testament and the Lord's apostles in the New Testament. And you know what? They wrote down the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. So guess what? We have here the Old Testament prophets. We have the words and warnings of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We have uh, his inspired writings through the apostles Listen, we've been warned, amen? Don't be like old man Harry Truman living by Spirit Lake on the slopes of Mount St. Helens. You and I have been warned. The people we know and care about, they, sh they need to be warned. Many of them have been, but people need to remember these warnings. Verse three, knowing this first, Proton is the Greek word, so it means of, of primary importance. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now let's go back and let's look at verse three, knowing this first. So, you know, it's, it's primary importance. We've got to know this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. These are mockers. They, they are so sarcastic, it just drips from their words and their very being. You could paraphrase this. Uh, the idea in the Greek is uh, in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing. I mean, it just describes them. 
walking after, are they walking after the Spirit? Answer that question. Look at the Bible if you have it. No, they're walking after their own lusts, their their own strong desires, what they want to do, what they want to believe, and saying, you know, their question basically is, and it's not not a sincere inquiry for more knowledge. They're making fun of this. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, that means the you know, the Old Testament people and their mom and dad and grand grand great granddad or great grandnanny or whoever, you know, that that everybody's died, everything just keeps just rolling right along like it always has from the beginning of creation. Now, is that true? No. They are making huge errors in critical thinking. Their rational thinking ability is severely challenged. Now, why is this? And by the way, you may know people or you yourself may say, well, I just have intellectual problems with the Bible. Well, actually don't. You've got a sin problem. And because you have a sin problem and a morality problem, you've got to get rid of this thing that points that out, which is the word of God. How do I know that? Well, look at verse five. For this, they willingly are ignorant of. So, they choose knowingly, you know, they, they pretend or play like that what they said is true. Well, it's not true because, and I'm going to show you that it's not, it's just obviously not. It, it is not true that since the fathers fell asleep, that is, the, you know, Old Testament people died, that all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And by the way, notice that these people admit that there's a creation, which means that there must be a creator, which means they admit there's a God, but it's like, yeah, well, he wandered off and he's never coming back and he's not interested in this world. There's not gonna be any return of Christ. There's no judgment after death. There's no judgment when he comes. That's what they want to believe, but they are willingly ignorant of something. And here's what it is. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Did you know that if you go anywhere in the world that cultures all over the world have flood stories? Now, some of them are pretty far removed from the actual truth of Noah's flood, but they remember a flood that came on the world. This story is everywhere. Do you know why? It really happened. And the people, the only eight people who lived through it, Noah and his family, they made sure that their descendants after them knew this and they passed it down and it became part of the known history of the world. And by the way, if you said, well, there was no global, oh yes, there was, absolutely. You have complete chaos in the distribution 
of fossils all over the world. Things are on tops of mountains that you should find at the bottom of the seas. That's a fact. Anybody who knows geology will say, yeah, that's true, and then they'll come up maybe their own reason for that. But uh, there was absolutely a global flood. Absolutely. Wiped out civilization at that time. Now, um, I'm going to be sharing some information here with you. There's so much of it, it will seem chaotic. But, but hear what you can, and if you have to go back and listen to the episode again, please do so. In verse 6, where it says, Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. The word overflowed is cataclyso, and it's used only of Noah's flood in the scriptures. It denotes a violent agitation. Think of a washing machine. It denotes a violent agitation that destroys the usefulness of that which is destroyed. There's a Latin word for it that I don't remember, but from that Latin word, we get our English word cataclysm. Like it it was a cataclysmic event. It comes from that Greek word, cataclyso, and it referred to Noah's flood. Now, actually, Peter has already mentioned this, and let's, let's completely demolish the ignorant argument that ever since the world was created, things have just rocked on in all the same way. Totally not true. 2 Peter 2, verses 4 through 9, that we've seen in previous episodes, says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now, we're, we're kind of just taking that part of that sentence there. God did that. And we believe this is referred to for their sin in Genesis chapter 6. You can read all about it there. But the angels that committed that sin are bound in chains awaiting judgment. These are not the same demonic angels that are loose today. And it certainly is not Lucifer. These angels are kept under guard. They're restrained. Well, who are they? Well, this is all we know about them. But they're not the ones that are loose in the world today, uh, rampaging with death and destruction today, the fallen angels that we call demons. These are some different angels. That was in, that was in the flow of human history. Verse 5 in 2 Peter 2, verses 4 through 9, and spared not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. There's so much locked up in this verse. There's an old world spoken of. Why is that? Because it's not the same as the new world that we see now. Because in 2 Peter 3, verse 6, it says, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water, perish. So we live in a world that was recreated, so to speak, after the flood. So human history was <laughs> violently broken into by God 
with the flood that wiped out all but the eight people on the ark. Pastor Ed, do you really believe that was a literal flood? Absolutely. 100% zero doubt. And that is the clear teaching of the word of God. Absolutely. So it says, it spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Noah was, it, it seems from scripture, was 120 years in constructing the ark, which was like the size of a modern battleship, same ratios and dimensions. It was uh, eminently seaworthy. And in, during that time, he preached Christ. He preached righteousness. And the world, I mean, from the world's point of view, he was a complete failure. No one responded to his message. When he gave an altar call, they just mocked. And God shut Noah and his family in the ark, and then the great fountains of the deep were broken up. The windows of heaven were open. And uh, about that time, they began to realize when it was too late that Noah was right. 120 years, that's a lot of patience of the Lord, isn't it? But it says, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Notice that the flood, although they, they were uh, the thing that killed the world at that time because it was so very wicked, the same thing was used to rescue Noah and his family. The waters uh, floated the ark and they were safe, but the flood came on the world of the ungodly. So we have the angels condemned, I believe from Genesis 6, particular angels. You can read about it in Genesis 6. And we have Noah and the flood. So there's two examples of God breaking into human history and space and time, real events that occurred that were not just everything went along from creation. Nothing's ever changed. Absolute lie. Two examples. And here's the third one. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those after that should live ungodly. This is when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah for the sin of homosexuality. It was not the sin of not being hospitable. What a joke. I mean, go back and read it yourself. It's obvious what this was. But, verse 7, and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And verse 9 sums up these three examples. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of the temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So here, here's three examples that we've already seen in, um, in 2 Peter chapter 2 that the world has not continued with no problems from the creation until now because there are three violent examples of God breaking into human history, space-time history with judgment and also 
we see in the example of Noah and the flood and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah of delivering the godly in, in the midst of or, or delivering them from or out of the judgment. They were not subject to the judgment. They were delivered. Now, this whole idea of the floods and all of that, I'm going to give you some information from scientist Dr. Henry Morris, whose degree work is in hydrology. So this man knows water, all right? Dr. Henry Morris explains the heavens existed long ago that Peter talked about in 2 Peter 3 that we read a moment ago this way. This is how Dr. Morris explains this. Evolutionists, whether they are atheistic, pantheistic, deistic, or theistic, evolutionists willingly ignore God's testimony that the heavens and the earth did not evolve by continuing natural processes, but were called into existence by God's omnipotent word, fully complete and functioning from the beginning. The only reason God took as long as six natural days to finish the whole creation was to serve as a pattern for man's six-day work week. Every time you take Sunday off, you are agreeing that God had a wonderful idea. Amen? The various theories of cosmic evolution, stellar evolution, and planetary evolution are all unproven and internally destructive, as are the various theories of chemical evolution, organic evolution, human evolution, and cultural evolution. There are now thousands of fully qualified scientists, some from every field of science, who have studied the scientific evidence, pro and con, who have come to the conviction that the biblical record of earth history is precisely correct and that evolutionary theory is totally false. Here's some more things that Dr. Henry Morris said about the world being destroyed, the old world. The perishing of the world that then was is especially evidenced by the vast beds of fossils of plants and animals that have been preserved in the sedimentary rocks of the earth's crust. These fossil beds have been misinterpreted by evolutionary scientists as a record of the evolution of life over many ages, despite the ubiquitous absence of any true transitional forms in these billions of fossils. What they really represent is the cataclysmic, let's use the word sudden, all right? What they really represent is the sudden destruction of life in one age at the time of the great flood. Both sedimentary rocks and unhardened sediments have mostly been deposited underwater, and they now cover most of the Earth's land surface as well as 
ocean bottom surface. There, furthermore, flood traditions somewhat similar to the flood record in Genesis have been found among almost all nations and tribes of the earth. The genuine facts of science and history thoroughly support the biblical account of the flood, while only willful ignorance can warrant the evolutionary interpretation of these evidences. And Peter said it would be so in the last days. Most important of all, of course, is the divinely inspired record in the Bible itself. And you can find that in Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 1, all the way to Genesis 9, verse 11. Confirmed by Christ, you know, Jesus referred to Noah as an actual person and the actual flood and the destruction. And he did that in Luke 17, verses 26 and 27. Look it up. Peter and others that, let's see, let's see, Peter, Peter and others that the flood indeed was a worldwide cataclysm. That being the case, the fossil record, which is the main hope of the evolutionists, is mostly a record of the flood not of evolution. And I want you to think about this. Moses devotes only, in in the book of Genesis, Moses wrote the book of Genesis, Moses devotes only one chapter to the fall of man. You know, Adam and Eve and the serpent, right? Moses devotes only two chapters to the creation. Moses devotes four chapters to, to the flood. Listen to me. The world that rejected Noah's preaching of Christ and warning of the flood died anyway in the flood waters they did not believe in. Just as a Jesus-rejecting world today will die anyway in the fiery judgment to come that they refuse to believe in. I'm going to give you an example from history. This is not even out of the Bible. Just one example of of many that the world has not been all the same since it started at the creation, and it's just been like a day at Six Flags, lollipops, and roses. The Great Influenza is a book written by John Barry. I was put onto this book, I haven't read it, but John MacArthur alludes to this book and quotes from it. So I'm quoting from John MacArthur, who refers to the book, The Great Influenza by John Barry. In 1918, a flu epidemic broke out across the world. You can read all about it in that book, The Great Influenza. And a virus, whatever that was, because people really didn't understand that at that time, a virus in 24 months, listen, people, in 24 months, the flu virus killed 100 million people worldwide. Come on. (laughs) 
that's not continuing, you know, flawlessly from the creation until now. Come on. The bubonic plague, the black plague in Europe in the Middle Ages is another example. All things have not continued as they were since the creation. And those are two huge examples from world history. So let's go back to first P- Second Peter 3. I told you this would be chaotic, and I'm living up to what I promised. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 3. And uh, let's, let's read where we were so this makes sense coming into verse 7. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. And that's verse uh, 6, so let's go now to 2 Peter 3, verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, here's, here's the intentional error of the scoffers and mockers, especially of our day. And it's a big, long English word, uniformitarianism. That is just a big word that means everything's remained uniform. It's all the same. No, it's not. And I've just given you Bible examples and world history examples. That's their intentional error. They kind of know that's not true, but they just ignore it and they keep They keep pounding that rock, baby, but they're wrong because the history of the world, whether it's biblical, you know, recorded in the Bible or just things we know about in world history in recent time, is not uniformitarianism, it's catastrophism. (laughs) That is uh, an unbroken record of catastrophe. And God broke into space-time history at creation and the flood And we saw in 2 Peter 2, God broke into history with a judgment of the fallen angels in Genesis 6 and Noah's flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So the intentional error is is wanting to believe and try to make everybody believe in uniformitarianism when the obvious facts are it's a world history record of catastrophism, of catastrophe after catastrophe cataclysm after cataclysm. So that's their intentional error, but there's also a calculation error they're making. Verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now I think that's true, just like it says it. 
But you, but but the the other thing to remember is the primary thing is that God is not trapped within time. Now that's hard for us to think about because we live our whole life dominated by the passing seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and decades and years and all of that, centuries and so on. Well, that's nothing to God. God's not trapped in that. He's outside of that. He created a way to measure all of that. You know why? Because judgment's coming. There's a start and there's going to be a finish. Now, Eastern thought, and this is infused in Eastern religions, is that there is no start and no finish. We're accountable to God. That life is just a a wheel of life. You know, we just go around in circles and there's no real judgment. Oh yeah, baby, there's judgment and it's coming. We're closer today than we've ever been to the judgment of God. So they make a calculation error. They think God is late. Like it's been such a long time. And number two, <laughs> they say, uh, this is really bad. So we calculate that uh, if he even exists, he's not coming. Oh, that's so wrong. Verse eight in 2 Peter 3, 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So let's plug that in. The Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and he said he would return, and the angels confirmed that. Say, but it's been 2,000 years. Yeah, if you're trapped in time, but he's not trapped in time. He's God. And from, our, from his viewpoint, it's like I've only been gone two days, and I'm coming back. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, let's deal with the idea that he's late, and you know, therefore he's not coming. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, you know, the way they reckon it and calculate it. But his long-suffering, that Greek word, the Greek word for long-suffering is macrothumia, thumio. You know what it means? It means long-suffering. <laughs> Macro, like large, and, uh, you know, just the idea that he, he has great patience, but is long-suffering to usward. Now, you should ask right now, well, Why? But as long as suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish. Remember that part of that verse I read earlier that God, God doesn't take any pleasure that the wicked are going to die and be judged, right? But as long as suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, we know from the Bible that all are not going to be saved. Jesus made this emphatically clear. Many would go down the wrong road and they would be eternally lost. Few would find him, right? You know about that from the Gospels. But it is not his desire that they perish. He, he wants everyone to come to a change of 
thinking that leads to faith in him and a change in their life, repentance. Now, it, it just hit me today or last night, I guess, and again today, that you have verse 9, which is followed by verse 10. You say, well, Pastor Ed, I mean, it's in order, right? No, no, you're missing my point. Verse 9 holds out the possibility of repentance and being saved, right? And that's what the Lord wants. If you're not a Christian today, that's what he wants you to do. He does not want you to go to hell. He does not want you to be judged and eternally lost. He wants you to come to him. But verse 10 comes right after verse 9. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. How does a thief in the night come? Secretly. You're all, we're always surprised when something is stolen. Like, oh, I just never expected that. Well, yeah, thieves don't announce it. They just show up, right? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt. The word melt, the Greek word means to break apart, to come unfastened. Did you know that, I believe it's in Colossians, it is said that all things consist, that the, the, the whole reason the world materially, physically, and in every other way, the only reason the world holds together is because Christ holds it together. Did you know that? Look that up in Colossians. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And that means exactly what it says, even in Greek. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now I do want to say here that whereas the apostle Paul was given the the privilege of writing about the rapture of the church prior to the second coming of Christ that we're reading about here. Peter's main emphasis is on that ultimate judgment. Peter is not, uh, like when we're reading about right here, he's not talking about the rapture of the church that Paul was shown, right? Or John was shown in the book of the Revelation, uh, chapter four, verse one. And, and John recorded in the Gospel of John where the Lord Jesus Christ explained it in John 14, verses 1 through 6. Look it up that we may be where he is. You know, he's preparing a place for us. It's not talking there in John 14, 1 through 6 about him coming back here to be with us here. He's coming to get us so we could be with him there. So I'm at heaven or eternal home that he's preparing for us. But Peter is talking about what we classically think of as a second coming, you know, seven years later where he comes in judgment. And then even beyond that, it's, it's far beyond that. He's ultimately talking about when God burns up the existing heavens and earth and recreates new ones of a new, fresh kind of a, a higher quality heavens and earth. So it's not, I, I kind of misspoke, not really just the second coming. It's beyond that to where 
Everything is recreated for the eternal state. I mean, listen, people. In 2 Peter chapter 3, this simple fisherman from the shores of Galilee is inspired by the Holy Spirit to explain to us the progress of human history and Bible prophecy from the creation of the world until it is all burned up and recreated. Wow. And when you understand 2 Peter 3, it, the Holy Spirit will use that to help you understand, sort of decode or unlock Bible prophecy. Now, if you never understand 2 Peter 3, you're going to be like somebody in a rowboat adrift in the Pacific Ocean of the Bible with no landmarks on a cloudy night, and they have no way to know any, where anything fits in Bible prophecy. But if you understand 2 Peter 3 and Daniel 7 and Daniel 9 and Matthew 24 and, and all of that, the more you understand it, the more all the pieces click into place to form the perfect picture that right now might seem to you like a puzzle. Well, that's why I said it's such an important passage. All right, so we go to verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons is the idea of like, what, what kind of people? What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation? That means a holy lifestyle and godliness. Pastors and churches who dismiss Bible prophecy or outright deny it. First of all, if they deny it, I'm questioning if they're even saved. But that's between them and God. But pastors and churches who dismiss Bible prophecy or even deny it, they are they are missing the um, the aid and help Bible prophecy is for us to get our Christian life together already and live for Jesus until he comes. <laughs> if you thought that you were going to account to the Lord Jesus Christ in 18 hours and 33 minutes and 22 seconds, would that change how you're living today? John even backs this up in 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Listen to this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Listen to this, verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in himself or in, let me reread that. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So when we know and we believe the Lord is coming, it changes in a wonderful, positive way how we conduct ourselves on this earth. For we will give an account to him for reward 
or loss of reward as believers in Christ. Verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You know, what is that going to change how we live? It does me. How about you? Amen. So we're going to stop right there today because I don't want to rush over the rest of 2 Peter 3. So there will be part three of this, this uh, watching for Christ's return, episode uh, number 26. That'll be part three in our next episode. I would like to take a moment, first of all, to thank those of you who are listening. And if you've never done it, I would like you to follow the podcast. You only have to do that one time, but when you do it, you will learn about each new episode that is posted, when it's posted. I want you to also like this episode, and I want you to do one more thing. I would like you right now where you're listening, you'll see how to do it, to share the episode with someone else who needs to hear it. Be a missionary to someone right now, a Christian who needs to be encouraged, or someone who does not know Jesus who needs to hear the gospel. For those of you who are listening and you're not sure that you're a Christian or you know that you're not, maybe you have questions. Maybe you want to be sure. Maybe you don't even understand all of this about Jesus. Write this phone number down. You won't be calling me, but you'll be calling a Christian ministry with counselors who can talk with you about your spiritual need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the number. I'm going to say it twice. 888-388-2683. All right, here we go again. 888-388-2683. Now, I'll be back if I don't die first or the Lord doesn't come first, and either is fine with me. But if I'm still here, I'll be back with the next episode next week, episode 26 of Hope for Hard Times. Thank you for listening. And if the Lord is willing, I'll be back, and you will too, and we'll continue in Hope for Hard Times from First and Second Peter. Bye-bye.